world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up. It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be. happened since Pri primarily i turned 30 yeah big milestone mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i've joined the roster of the great the greats in their 30s there was You've a, now become a man there are a lot of mm -hmm. parades around the country <laughs> yes parades huh is that is that what you're telling the kids no <laughs> <laughs> i i actually thought it was a little um i guess i don't know un unfortunate I don't know if that's the right word. Um, the parallels between the stuff we read today and like what's happening in the world. Yeah. Oh gosh. Yeah. It was a I, little uncomfortable in a way, but also like a little like well, not much has changed, has it? Oh gosh, I have uh yeah, we'll have to talk about that. Same crap new shovel. I forget what this the phrase is. <laughs> it's I, that, that works, I guess. <laughs> uh, should yeah, we just should we just get into it then? Yeah. Yeah, I have no funny banter to start, so... Well, hopefully we find some along the way. So we've got some noir-inspired stories to discuss today, and I think we're gonna, we're gonna go ahead and start with X-Men Noir, which is a book that was published by Marvel Comics. <laughs> High praise. <laughs> Yeah, so, X-Men Noir, uh, guys, this book was kind of wild to me. So, uh, Fred Van Lente and Dennis Calero okay. are the main storytellers. I'm guessing Van Lente did the writing, I'm yes. guessing. I didn't, I don't think he's an artist. I'm on the, I'm on, I'm on the wiki now, yes. The wiki. The okay. wiki. And then we got letters by Nate Piekos from Blambot. And, gosh, this was a wild book. X-Men Noir is... It's, it's got a lot of the trappings of your typical hard-boiled mysteries where, you know, a corpse washes up in the river and the detectives find it and they have to kind of solve the murder mystery and it leads into this larger story of citywide corruption, uh, politicians who care only about their own acquisitions, sort of this seedy underbelly to the police where there is a group of officers who are, uh, they kind of got their own little cabal going on, their own little brotherhood, you might say. Ha! 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 Yeah. Uh, so the, the premise is you've got this setting and all of these sort of noirish archetypes are, they're, they're inhabited by X-Men characters. So the baby-faced detective who finds the, the body of the woman washed up in the river is uh, Pietro Maximoff, or Peter Maximoff. Uh, he is not a mutant, he just is a former track star. Um, before, before you continue, because you said baby-faced, um, so a nickname I had in, uh, <laughs> in college was Baby Hands. Uh, <laughs> ooh, that's rough. Cause, cause I made a, I made a comment about how I had like little baby hands 
or like little hands like a baby and somebody called me baby hands gomez um anyways that stuck around uncomfortably for a long time and uh when i started shaving uh like a couple years ago again and cleaning my face uh the the, the that name changed over to baby face gomez so Aww. i just want you to know every time you say baby face uh part of me flashbacks <laughs> Steven, I don't think Babyface likes uh, his nickname. I think that's I think that's tough. So sorry, Babyface. Let me just start over again. You said you started shaving again. Yeah. Like you you lost puberty and then it came back. How no, about- like I stopped shaving because I like facial hair. Ah, uh, you've never had like a beard, beard, right? Has it always been like goatee? Yeah. It's not for a lack of trying. We don't have to call you Babyface anymore, okay, Baby Hands? Oh, thanks. <laughs> I like Baby Hands. When I was in high school, I also had a nickname, Babyface. Oh, really? Yeah. I was in a, a musical where we weren't allowed to shave for several months, and I had <laughs> facial hair, and so I had like this really patchy but very long beard, mm-hmm. and then when I shaved it, I looked immediately younger, and everybody started calling me Babyface, and that stuck with me through the rest of high school. Wow. Kindred yeah. spirits. Yep. Well, that's what you guys get for being able to shave. I don't think I had to shave every day where it would be noticeable until I was in my like thirty-one, maybe twenty-nine. I don't even know. So I mean, I still can't grow a real beard. No, I could grow a scarf, and that's it. <laughs> that would be disgusting. I grow a literal neck beard, and I hate myself every time yeah. I look in the mirror. <laughs> I could also grow. I could also grow like a mustache that would immediately put me on a list somewhere, and I couldn't drive by school. <laughs> And guys, I like Girl Scout cookies a lot, but they would not let me anywhere near those troops. They'd be like, no, 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 no. You order yours by mail. You you get back in the car. Or van, sorry. Sicko. They were doing contactless delivery for uh, John long before it was yeah. integrated into DoorDash. Yeah. We're just going to leave these on the porch. Um, like, no need to come out. Have you shaved? Okay, you can, you can approach. But if you haven't shaved, then... <laughs> we'll knock on the door, give us 30 seconds, and... Uh... Feel free to redeem your cookies. Ten steps back, fifty or fifty yards, you know. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> X Men, huh? X Men. So, ugh, the the there are two, I think, major conceits that make this story like notable. Uh-huh. One is that Magneto and the Brotherhood of Mutants are reclassified as they're not mutants anymore, but they're police officers, and they're kind of like get your hands dirty police officers. Uh, like We get a pretty notable scene of Magnus in a back room beating the tar out of who I think is supposed to be uh, Black Tom Cassidy. Yep. Yeah, and he's... Uh, we, we learn all about Magnus and how he's an immigrant and he, there's a lot of prejudice against him and he worked very hard to fit into the system. Like, he, he worked really hard to make sure that his accent wasn't noticeable so that he would be accepted, and that's what kind of escalates him, like, helped him to move up the ranks. The other major reclassification is the X-Men themselves. Professor X is in an institution of some time. I think, he, I think he's in prison mm-hmm. as a result of, like, his experiments with helping to rehabilitate psychopaths and that's kind of the big uh selling point the mutants are not mutants 
they're psychopaths. And Professor X's theory is that psychopathy is this unique evolutionary step towards helping people cope with the difficulties of urban life. And that's just kind of wild, and I don't even know what to say about that. We'll get into it, I'm sure. Anyway, there was a body that washed up in the middle of the river that was found by, uh, I'm going to want to call him Quicksilver, but nobody actually uses the, the superhero names except for Cyclops and Iceman get their names. Anyway, a uh, body that washes up in the, the river, it's ostensibly it's Jean Grey. We find out later on that that's not the case. Um, and this murder is getting investigated both by the uh, police, specifically uh, Pietro, and also by this mysterious vigilante who is a golden age hero from Timely Comics, also called Angel. He is not Warren Worthington. He's just a dude with a cape and some guns. That was, uh, yeah, that was a little confusing for me. It was, was a like, touch that confusing. Was super confused. <laughs> That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I think what's a little interesting, um, if you don't mind me tangenting just a little bit Go on right Angel. Ahead. So his story here, as it's played in, the, in X-Men Noir, is extremely similar to his real like comic book origins. Um, like the whole thing about him being raised uh, like by a prison, like he's the, the son of like a prison warden and the criminals teaching him like all the skills he would later use. The cape in his original comic is actually like a magical cape and through like some weird retcon, uh, not like, not retcon, but just, just through like uh, some odd similarities it's implied that his cape that lets him fly in his comics might actually have been made by the same person that made Dr. Strange's cape. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but like this whole thing about him having a brother, which plays in a little bit later. Sorry to steal that. You're good. Uh, that was all, that was also a thing in, in the comics at some point they replaced him and it was just his brother. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, yeah I, I wondered about that, because I don't know anything about this character. I did, didn't really get a chance to read up on him before we started here. Um, so, the plot for this one actually gets, I think, quite convoluted. There is a scheme to assassinate this this uh, crime lord named Eunice the Untouchable, uh, which I guess is a character's mutant name. Uh, in the comics, Eunice the Untouchable is one of the early, early X-Men villains, and I don't know how often he pops up after those first couple of issues. Like, I think he's in issue 10 or something like that, very early on. Uh, the assassination goes sideways. Uh, the angel interferes with that. Um, he's also gotten kind of wrapped up with Anne-Marie, who is another one of Xavier's pupils, who is... Uh, she's rogue, or she's supposed to be rogue. She's got the white stripe in her hair, and this is around the same time that people were really into trying to nail down a name for rogue, which I guess they finally stuck. I think Anne-Marie is kind of accepted as her name generally. Is it? Am I right on that? I, I mean, going from my TV 92 X-Men knowledge and, and the movies, yeah. Okay. I think I think at the bare minimum that's the name they had settled on around that time, like John mentioned, because that was her name in 
in the films, right? It's been so long since I've seen the X-Men movies, I actually don't remember. I will believe you if you guys say that's true. Man, can, don't you want to revisit Babyface Wolverine? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, a lot of, of critics that I uh, whose opinions I actually do respect keep pointing out that X-Men 2 isn't actually as good as you remember it being, so I do kind of want to revisit it and see if it still holds up for me. Because the last time I watched it, which was admittedly about 10 years ago, I still enjoyed it. So, I don't know, we'll see. I don't want to. I don't want to know that because I'm thinking about it, and that might be true. But like, man, it was good at the time. I do think that like the music that plays during the really awesome uh, Nightcrawler like fight at the uh, White House, that's been like overused in like fake trailers since that movie, and so that's kind of <laughs> hurt it. Uh, yeah, Anne Marie is comics as well as Hey John. If it's if it's any consolation, there's no way it could be better. Anywhere nearly as bad as the last two X Men movies. Oh. There's no. Oh, way. I like. Yeah, that is. I, I didn't even see Dark Phoenix. Exactly. <laughs> I was like, "Don't talk about." Hey, don't talk about Days of Future Past. And I was like, "Oh yes, there was another bad one." Yeah. <laughs> no, Apo- I was thinking Apocalypse, and then I also didn't watch Dark Phoenix. Apocalypse was just, just like, "We're gonna make these X Men movies the way we used to always make X Men movies," and ignoring the fact that superhero movies have gotten much better um, than uh, you know. Or, you know, just completely not understanding the whole concept of the Dark Phoenix. Or, or Apocalypse, yeah. Or Apocalypse, yeah. What a waste of Oscar Isaacs. Anyways. Yeah, <laughs> what an absolute waste. So, I, I, wanna get, I just want to get to the comic. I frankly do lose the thread of the plot a little bit. A uh, lot of machinations. It turns out that uh, Anne-Marie is not Anne-Marie. She is, in fact, Jean Grey, who is a psychopath who like, is very, very gifted at impersonating people. She kind of describes it, or... Yeah. <sighs> I think Anne-Marie is described as a psychopath who takes on the characteristics of people that she's around, and Jean Grey, like, manipulates that and mimics it, and she winds up uh, dead. Angel shoots her. Uh, and Logan, who is a bootlegger... We didn't even touch on Logan in this. <laughs> uh, Logan sails off with uh, Cyclops and uh, I think the Angel go like they all go off together to go visit Madripoor. Also, there is a backup science fiction short story that is incredibly racist. Who wants to talk about X Men Noir? Um, so I do want to point out that so the, so Marvel we probably should have led with this actually in hindsight. Uh, Stephen, edit this at the beginning. Do it, make it sound natural. <laughs> yeah, I will definitely, voice. definitely make it sound very natural. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Chuck Sprightly will reward you greatly. <laughs> um, so these comics uh, are part of like a small like initiative that Marvel did in the in the late 2000 aughts, or as I like to call them, the oddies and the naughties. Um <laughs> It's one of those, yeah. And the whole premise was we're going to take a bunch of our popular characters and reinterpret them as sort of uh, noir pulp stories. The mm-hmm. best sellers, and I think the only ones to receive sequels, were actually the two that we're reading, which is X-Men and Spider-Man. Who would have thought? And the whole idea was to recontextualize them like like that, right? Uh, there's... there's uh, I'm trying to remember what the other books are. I know one of them is an Iron Man one, and that one's just more of an... Indiana Jones type story. Yeah. There's an Iron Man, there's a Daredevil, there's a Punisher. 
just offhand, I know that those ones all existed. I haven't read any of these before. Yeah. So so that's kind of the premise. And I think Fred Van Lente is probably a good choice because what they do really well, and I want to preface the everything else that we're going to talk about, I want to preface it with this. He did a really good job at capturing the writing style and the vibe of like those old pulp stories. Mm-hmm. And that is also where this book, unfortunately, also has many problems. Um, yes. It is, without a doubt, I, and unfortunately, and this is a criticism, it is misogynistic, it is racist, it is xenophobic. Uh, it is not a, a, a very PC book, I guess you could, you could right. say. And I was actually talking with Brittany about this while I was reading the book because it was, it was honestly kind of disturbing me. I worry sometimes that uh, a lot of writers, uh, not to name any Frank Millers, I mean names, <laughs> like to indulge in uh, noir-ish storytelling tropes, specifically so they can play around in a non-PC space, right? Yeah. And I don't, like, I am the type of person who thinks that I like my fiction. I shouldn't say that I don't believe fiction needs to have like redeeming qualities or morals or anything like that. I like my fiction to have that stuff, but I don't think it's requisite. Um, But because I like my fiction to have that stuff, I struggle with stories that very obviously don't have it. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And there are aspects of X-Men noir that I think are interesting and notable and I'm actually, uh, at some point tonight, I kind of want to speak out in, I think, defense, or at least slight defense, of that incredibly racist backup story. Mm-hmm. But honestly, so much of this book just rubbed me the wrong way. It's it's hard. It's a little hard to read. I I am a pretty big supporter of... Well, I, okay, so I land in the middle. I land in a weird gray area where I think there is absolutely no harm in being a little bit more politically correct. But I also think we should be able to not be if it serves a greater purpose in a storytelling uh, sense, if that makes sense. Um, so so the idea of like being racist just for being racist sake and like, you know, just pretending to write noir style books just so you can do that to me, that's offensive. I think because this was a project very much intended to be a noir pulp story. I'm not going to say it excuses it, but I'm a little bit more okay with it, if that makes sense. Because that is unfortunately the vibe and like the, the thing. Even though you don't, you don't need those specific elements to write a good pulp story, uh, I, think, I think Spider-Man... We'll talk about that later, but I think Spider-Man handles that a little bit better. Yeah, uh, agreed. But <laughs> but also, I don't think it necessarily takes away a whole lot from this book. I'm looking specifically at the writing and the art. Um, not not wild about the lettering. The font is just kind of like throwing me off, but that's just a choice they made to make it stand out from other stuff. The I think the compositions and the paneling is okay. Um, it feels like they use too much photo reference for 
um, the images because everyone's face looks vaguely familiar. It's like they were like, okay, we're going to pick an actor to be this character. Right. Like, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, like, are you, are you going to say that Professor X is Gandhi? No. <laughs> no, I was going to say. Like, like ben Kingsley is Gandhi, like in some of these pictures. Oh, no, I was going to say uh, Angel looks like Clark Gable. Yeah. <laughs> he kind of does, doesn't he? Yeah. He just looks like uh, <laughs> Rutger Hauer. But anyway, I just, like, like I think that it sure is noir. Everything's all all shady and, like, it, the, you can hardly tell who's who half the time. Mm-hmm. Um, which really bothers me in a comic. It's like if you're if it can only be one thing, be clear about what's going on. I had no idea who the friggin' guy with the with a cape was the entire time. I was like, so what? What? what but then who's? Because it's I get the I get the appeal where it's oh this would be an interesting take on it. Let's put him in a different setting. But then it just becomes a ooh how many references are we gonna drop and how are we gonna you know play this up so that the existing knowledge of the characters is going to be like a, Ooh, kind of moment for all the, you know, like all the nerds. There's a bit more, there's a bit more <laughs> of that. Nerds. Yeah. <laughs> we already have them in this barrel. Let's shoot them. No, I, <laughs> the, um, Spider-Man, we'll talk about Spider-Man cause it does that a little bit more, but this, I just couldn't follow. It was like, okay, who's who and who's on what side? Cause the dynamic of X-Men and the brotherhood of evil mutants and people versus X-Men, the brotherhood of, you know, humans and mutants, that's kind of well set. And this kind of messes with that. And I feel like the, the like art is subpar, but like would be adequate if the story made sense. I feel like. Um, if the writing was a little better and the plot was a little bit m- more easy to follow, that I'd be able to forgive some of this writing. But this feels like like a really cheap IKEA bookshelf that you've, <laughs> you've put up, and it's serviceable. But then you just put a thousand copies of Everybody Poops on it, and you need a little <laughs> bit. You need you know something better to read. So that's yeah. So I take it you didn't like the book very much. <laughs> Here's the thing. So I like. So I've been going on on a pretty um, interesting dive into into old cinema. Um, I've been really kind of taking advantage of my Criterion subscription that I have. Ooh. Oh yeah, yeah, I can see that. Yeah. So this is so these books kind of fell right into the same kind of storytelling vibe or, or mindset that I've had for like the last couple of weeks. So it so to me, I I think I I liked it probably a little bit more, but it's also a little bit of luck because if I hadn't if I hadn't been on that current like binge, I don't think I would have liked this book nearly as much. Hmm. And that is like a thing that like it does feel like a lot of the time they're very much like references references, yeah. and it does take away a little bit away from 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 the story. I think that's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and I, I like noir. I love it. I think mm-hmm. there's... Um, did you guys see the Animatrix? Yeah. The animated film. There was like nine animated films that kind of filled mm-hmm. the gaps between the first and the second. Well, I mean, there was just that one movie and then the Animatrix. And boy, they should have followed that up with something. <clears throat> <laughs> you know, they're making a sequel like 20, like, uh, 20 oh, years wow. later. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. They Nothing else in between. Yeah. yeah, they're coming out with a new one. Oh, I thought it was a remake. I think it's a sequel. Keanu Reeves is going to be in it. Keanu oh, Reeves, okay. Carrie Ann Moss. They've looked at the script. They both said it's good. I don't think either one of them has aged enough to even have, any, have anyone skip a beat. I mean, so. does Keanu Reeves really age? 
not actually yes actually he absolutely ages (laughs) (laughs) i'm sorry i saw the trailer for the bill and ted oh see i haven't watched oh gosh they probably uh, he, did want to make him a little older because I think he's playing a dad, right? Like I don't know. He, okay. They look like they're playing the same character, but like it also looks like they told Keanu Reeves and uh, Ted Winters to just show up and whatever. Alex and Alex Winters and Keanu's character. Keanu, Keanu Reeves just kind of came in like his like Keanu Reeves casual dress or so like a butt up shirt and slacks, and it's like that doesn't seem very Bill and Tedish, but okay. <laughs> I'm still gonna see it. I just decided I'm not gonna watch the trailer, so I don't. I mean, have, don't, like, don't watch one it. more joke ruined for me when <laughs> I watch the movie eventually. But um, I think in the Animatrix, there's a, oh, yeah. I bring that up, Bill and Ted. Yeah, Animatrix. <laughs> there's a point to this. <laughs> detective, it's called Detective Story, and it's a great noir. It's uh, anime. It's all black and white. It's more like sepia tones, you know, whatever. But it's he's trying to find Trinity, this detective, and he has a cat, and there's a lot of, like, Alice in Wonderland references, like the movies, and he's, you know, going through the city, and it's kind of futuristic, but it's also, it's like, kind of, it's, I don't want to say steampunk, it's, like, techno Cyberpunk? techno art. no, wait, hold on, techno C- Cyberpunk, I think, is the word you're looking for, isn't it? A little bit? I don't know, he has, like, a computer that doesn't work quite like other computers <laughs> do. That's Cyberpunk. Okay, sure. That's what it is. It's really good. Whatever. Um, I like so I like noir, and I was like, yeah, Spider Man noir, like or uh, uh, X Men noir. Sure, that's gonna be fine. We're gonna, you know. And I read this, and I was like, oh, I love X Men, and I love noir, and this is like if I put peanut butter on my pizza. So, <laughs> two things I love that it turns out should not mix. Well, are you saying peanut butter on pizza doesn't mix? Don't don't try to tell me that it does. Don't try to tell me that you can get a slice of pepperoni and spread some jiff on there and make it work. I mean, it, I mean that's the problem. It's cool with pepperoni. Oh gosh, it's just sausage. You guys, I need okay. to have a tally of when Aldo was. <laughs> <laughs> It'll be a long list. <laughs> I think that about like bacon on donuts too. That's just like spitting in the face of God. That's just like, <laughs> we've grown too arrogant as a, as a species. <laughs> or hath our hubris taken us? Yeah. Yeah. No, I saw. Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> Dang it! It was some kind. It was like the aisle full of Oreos, and I can't remember which Oreo brand was just like send another flood. We have forgotten our way, because it was just so bad. It was like maybe it was like the the cake flavored Oreos, where it was like cake sprinkles and stuff inside of Oreos, and it was like we've just gone. This is it. Too far. Too far. We don't deserve this planet anymore. Speaking of too far, I think we've lost the thread of this conversation a little uh, bit. No, we haven't. Everything sucks, just like X-Men Noir. <laughs> <laughs> well, then. Uh, so, was anybody else really uncomfortable with uh, making Magneto, like, a crooked cop? No. Or am I the only person who reacted badly to that? I think it felt right. Really? Yeah. Unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> It is June the ninth, so, twenty twenty. <laughs> so both both these books, but specific, but specifically, specifically X Men Noir, puts a lot of emphasis on crooked cops in like New York City in the nineteen thirties. <laughs> so having Magneto have like his own special uh, kind of racist cops, even though he's also part of the minority groups, but he but he uh he passes so like it's whatever it's cool bro he's just doing this to keep passing 
unfortunately felt very like right and i kind of hate that but also i'm i don't know man <laughs> yeah um i super don't agree i think it i hated it i was really uncomfortable with that like the thing specifically that bugs me and i kind of touched on this when we were talking about magneto during uh house and powers of x like Magneto has a very particular history, right? He, he uh, was a Holocaust survivor. He was a victim of Nazi violence. And so I think Marvel Comics and their publishing history is, has learned that Magneto works best when he is slightly sympathetic and they try to steer clear of making him a fascist because of the unfortunate implications of, uh, you know, turning a Holocaust victim into a fascist, right? And then you have, you know, uh, this is uh, this has actually been, been really, really uncomfortable to read in the middle of the George Floyd protests. It just, it just is. It is rough. Yeah. Um, gosh, it's so rough. But yeah, uh, that so like that's the thing. I don't want to get too much further into it, but that's kind of the gist of my difficulty with Magneto's portrayal. I don't love the fact that they take this character whose, you know, alternate universe personal history is so uh, tied up in the Jewish identity and have him be this, you know, bigoted, violent cop it's the cop part that really pushes it over the top because yes magneto does have his his bigotry he is kind of anti-human but he also is not an officer of the law and once you put him in that role it veers too much towards fascism for me to be super comfortable with it i, I think i think for me probably the problem was i didn't think about it past uh, on that level and I think that might have also been a thing that maybe the writer, the creators here also either missed or just like myself, just like they missed it or, or, you know, they chose to ignore that correlation because on a surface level, it works, right? Like, like McNeito is the leader of like this brotherhood of, of cops and, and like on a very surface level. Like it's fine. It's I, th I thought it was good, but now that you've mentioned that, I feel uncomfortable. <laughs> uh oh, good feelings gone. <sighs> yeah, thanks, Steven. You're welcome. <laughs> that is what I'm here for. Wait till he tells you about Santa Claus and Christmas. Oof. Wait, no. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Santa Claus is also a fascist. Slave labor. Slave labor. <laughs> oh gosh. Uh... The elves have to seize the means of production. <laughs> for christmas uh, you're all just getting a piece of santa's beard <laughs> so this this book is funny to me because like i've mentioned before i i like fred van lenti right i've read other books that he's written i'm trying to think have we actually read any comics for the podcast uh that he wrote that i liked oh that you liked oh that's, that's a very specific yeah, he re he wrote or he co-wrote Hercules: Love and War. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> he wrote Eminem: Punisher. 
Oh, oh boy, Steven. Okay, no more, no more. And he and he wrote this one, and it's like he is good. Uh-huh. He is like he's a talented writer, and I like a lot of his work. I boy. don't know why this stuff just isn't working. The stuff we're picking for the podcast is not working for no, me. No, it is not. You should really bring some yeah. of his good stuff because so far, um, I'm, he's looking at a ban. Oh. <laughs> and that, the, like, I wanted like we should put a disclaimer on the beginning of the show that like all opinions of John's can be dismissed as he is neither a writer nor artist and could not even light it, hold a candle to most of the writers or artists that we um, review on this show. It's never been published, that sort of thing. So that I'm free to say this guy sucks. And yeah, I just want to point out okay. that on my best day, uh, I cannot put out anything nearly as good as any of these people's worst days. Except, except for versus Punisher. Well, I was going to say, except Kevin Smith. I feel like I'm on <laughs> not even my best day. I think on a mediocre day, I could probably put out better than... I mean, on our list, I, I still... <laughs> I don't mind the View Askew movies, you know. Have you rewatched them? Have I rewatched them? <laughs> yeah. There's only one good, there's only, there's like three good Kevin Smith movies. Anyways, this isn't the Smith cast. <laughs> yeah, he has enough podcasts on his own. For, yeah. <laughs> we don't need to add more. Goodness. Um, do we, what What do y'all think about the, the recasting the X-Men as psychopaths? I, okay. Well, until you said so psychopaths. Psychopaths <laughs> is what they say, but really they're. The way that they're acting, I think, is like psychopaths. So, I don't, I don't. There, there's a kind of logic to it, I guess, when they're like changing the setting, and they're not making it really about like humans and mutants. It's uh, kind of where where he, you know, quotes Xavier's writings and saying like it's the next step in evolution, that sort of thing. But like, I don't think it works. I don't think it. I don't think it was explained well enough. I just, maybe I need to read this again, but like, I don't want to, like, it's like, it didn't grab me, it didn't seem to, uh. So, so when I was remembering this book, when I suggested it for the podcast, I had forgotten about the elements where they're recasted as sociopaths, and I kind of, in my memory... It wasn't that they were necessarily sociopaths. It was that they were talented at specific things. And Xavier was training them, like, how to use those things for, like, good. I thought, in my memory, I don't know, maybe it's in the second book, like, The Mark of Cain. But in my memory, like, I remember one of them being, like, a real good, like, lockpicker. Like, that was a thing. And, like, Xavier was like, you gotta be real good at lockpicking. But also, you can't, like, lockpick, pick locks. You can't pick good people's locks. You have to only use it against the bad people. Like that type of thing, right? So, so lo and behold, I go in and read this book, and I was like, oh, they're sociopaths. Uh-huh. I don't know how I feel about this anymore. So, <laughs> so as a concept, I like it. Uh, and its execution, I don't I wouldn't say I'm a big fan. It, that could have been a thing, but didn't quite play out. Yeah. Well I think my memory embellished the reality. Yeah. Um, there is a book uh, that this actually kind of reminds me of. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, is it that Hellboy? Book me the... Hellboy? 
I don't, I don't know. I, that's, I don't know why that was the first thing that came to my mind. Anyways, please continue. Me neither. Um, <laughs> the, what was the book called? The Psychopath Test. Okay, John Ronson, journalist, wrote a book called The Psychopath Test, where he takes a uh, screening tool that is used by behavioral health therapists to help diagnose uh, psychopathy. And I do think the book goes into some details about psychopathy and sociopathy and what the distinction is. And if there's a distinction at all, it's been so long that I don't quite remember. And there's something about the book that always bothered me. And I think it's like with that, it was, here's a man who is talking about a topic that is real and it is terrifying to people who don't understand it, but he also doesn't understand it. And he sensationalizes it a little bit. Mm. And, like, I I worked at a behavioral health clinic for, like, seven to eight years. Uh, that was seven to eight, not 78. Um, yeah, I mean, you look good for 78. <laughs> but I look terrible for 36. <laughs> um, anyway, I get kind of a similar vibe here. Like, I think mental illness... Mental illness is a topic that I take very, very seriously, despite the fact that I don't actually know that much about it. I have read a lot of mental health therapy notes as my, like, job. I, that's something I have to do. And I have, I have read the Diagnostic Statisticians Manual, which is the, the book that psychiatrists and psychologists use to assist them in diagnosing patients. All that said, I don't understand mental illness but I understand mental, like patients who have mental health needs deserve to be treated with compassion and understanding. And so much of the fear that we have around mental illness stems from a lack of understanding and it's not helpful. Like it's part of the reason that I struggle going back to movies that I used to really like. Psycho. I loved Psycho. I can't really watch it anymore because it demonizes, it fetishizes and it, it demonizes uh, Norman Bates and his mental illness. And I'm getting similar vibes from this, where it, it's more fetishistic than than demonistic. Yeah, we'll go with that. And uh, <laughs> it makes me a little uncomfortable. Like, I, I don't necessarily have any like substantial criticism against it, though, because for all I know, this is an accurate portrayal of psychopathy. But I don't think it is. Isn't it sociopathy? Again... Not entirely clear to me whether there's actually a difference or not. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, the that much lauded line from the Benedict Cumberbatch Sherlock series where he says, I'm not a psychopath, I'm a high-functioning sociopath, learn the difference. I, I've read some articles that say there, there's not a difference. I mean, I'm, I'm mostly going off of the text of the book where they call them sociopaths. But... Yeah. Yeah, fair. Okay, that's, that's a fair that was Absolutely not a Sherlock reference. That was the farthest thing from my <laughs> mind. <laughs> All those, sorry, you didn't want to be mistaken for like a BBC fan or something? Or yeah. What's up with that? Yeah. Oh, I could throw that at my roommate's face. Sorry, they were they were angry at me for not liking Doctor Who. And they said, I don't like anything British. And I forgot I like that. <laughs> Anyways, that's that's neither here nor there. That's kind of a, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's just pause for a second. You don't like anything British. Like. That was, that was what they said. And I couldn't name anything that I did like that was British. Ooh, shoot. So they were, they almost got you. They almost got me. Uh, I think Edgar Wright counts, but I don't. Yeah. Yeah, okay, good. I think Edgar Wright counts. Okay. Absolutely. Would you say it's the right choice? I feel like that's a reference to something that I should.
No, it's a pun. (laughs) (laughs) I was, I was, yeah, digging too hard to. Yeah, you gotta lower yourself to my level, buddy. (laughs) Anyways, should we continue? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Man, we're real Um, tangential today. A little bit, yeah. But I think we're kind of. I think this book is making us uncomfortable, and we don't want to talk about it. (sighs) Maybe. Good call. Let's move on. <laughs> I thought wait, weren't you like halfway through making a point? Uh no, as far as the psychopathy thing, sociopathy thing, whatever, I think I made my point. Okay. Um I did have another point that I wanted to make though about the the backup issue. Or like not the backup issue, the backup story. Oh, yeah. The the pros thing. Did you guys read that? No. No. <laughs> I was like, okay, they're talking about it's Bolivar Trask talking about Sentinels. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, d- I didn't like the book enough to like want more of it. Yeah, <laughs> I would concur. Okay, but the premise is that it's a, like a pulp fiction story of the era, written by Bolivar Trask. Yep. Do you want to tell and us about it? It was uncomfortable, um, hmm. like so much of this book. The premise is that humanity has bred the perfect human, and the the. The perfect specimens of humanity are these sort of like elite guard forces called the Sentinels. And then there are these underground uh, subhumans who have not been bred to the height of human perfection called the Mutants. And the Sentinels and the Mutants are at war. And the Mutants kidnap one of the, the Sentinels. And the main character Sentinel goes down into the Mutant Tunnels to rescue his beloved and destroy them all. And it turns out that she actually likes being among the mutants because the the breeding program that created the Sentinels has uh, kind of robbed them of their ability to experience love and joy. And the story ends with the Sentinel main character blowing up all of humanity and the only survivors are himself and the leader of the mutants and they decide that they're going to procreate and create a new human species. It feels very much like an Isaac Asimov story. I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it has a lot of like fun little references to mutants. Like the, the main sentinel's name is Nimrod. Yeah. Uh, the, or the main character's name. He's a sentinel. His name is Nimrod. His boss is Bastion. Those are the names of sentinels. Uh, the sentinel who is uh, the love interest is Rachel. The leader of the mutants is Callisto. Uh, the person who created the Sentinels is Stephen Lang, who is the name of the scientist who created the robot Sentinels. Like, there are yeah. all these fun little shout-outs. But then you have all of these, like, really kind of horrifying racist references. Like, um, Nimrod can figure stuff out because he has inherited the perfect race memory of the Jews, and therefore he has the wisdom of Solomon oh. sort of thing. And I think that's one of the tamer ones. It's not great. But I don't know, and I, this is the question I was going to ask you guys, and it doesn't sound like you've read it. There is a lot of discussion about, you know, invoking racist imagery and then subverting it. But I don't feel like this story really subverted it. It tried to in the sense that it showed that this sort of perfect breeding program created a race of humans that lacked joy and empathy. Uh, but for so much of the book, it's just presenting the racist tropes, and I don't know that it really comments on them to a sufficient degree. 
And this whole thing just struck me as really funny because I know Fred Van Lenty primarily from his writing partnership with Greg Pak, who is of Asian descent and like very much likes to bring Asian representation into comics. That's why he uh, helped create Amadeus Cho. He wrote for Agents of Atlas. He like likes to bring in Asian American characters because that aspect is of of comics creation is really important to him. So it's just funny to me that these writers that I respect so much came from such different places. And I want to make it perfectly clear that I am in no way calling Fred Van Lenty a racist. Mm-hmm. Um, I just is what so was attempted. What was attempted maybe did not quite get there. Right. I like think this the is subversion a, didn't quite work like it should have to make it very clear that this isn't just, well, I have all this racist stuff I want to say, but when can I, Ooh, if yeah. we make it a noir story. Yeah. I don't think that that's the case. I think it just illustrates, uh, the importance of having, uh, sensitivity readers, right? Yeah. Like it's important. Yeah. Cause when you don't have it, you'll have well-meaning stuff that just does not land, does not age well. I, like like I said, I th- I think part of what's happening in in this specific instance is that I think Fred Van Lente might just be talented enough to like absolutely capture the tone and unfortunate ideology of the 1930s, and that's maybe what's happening here. I would yep. I, I would agree. Yep, I think I would agree with that too. I don't know if Fred Van Lente was able to sleep soundly at night while he was reading these books. Writing these books, I don't know, um, but I would assume, what is? I would assume he felt a little uncomfortable. But maybe I'm giving him too much credit. I don't know. I've never met the man. Don't judge me. What would you guys do to fix this? Because you think if you're gonna make a noir X Men, why not have it be what like X Force with multiple man and all those guys like they're the detective agency. Somebody comes in, they gotta go to like meet the femme fatale, who is of course Emma Frost at the Hellfire Club, which is a speakeasy that they had. Well, not even a speakeasy because this is the thirties. And if you're talking about film noir that gets into the forties and up to the fifties, even, um, some sort of nightclub then, and then you'd find out that, Oh, it's this person. And then you drop in little characters, but in a way that makes sense to existing relationships. If you want, if you want my pitch, uh, my pitch is similar to the thing I, I said earlier. Which you have Charles Xavier training these like hyper talented kids how to use their stuff for good, uh, but then like the the main character is an old retired PI who was a drunkard who served the war overseas. His name is Logan James Howlett, and uh, as as he investigates stuff, he ends up taking you know a couple of these kids under his wings. And he inherits this responsibility from Charles Xavier, so he calls them the X-Men. Because they're not kids anymore, they're men. Huh. And then he has to fight some sort of like underground smuggling operation right by the, the Brotherhood or something. <laughs> yeah. I think this is why like deconstruction is really important. Uh it, I really like my uh, literary tropes and terms. And um, so just to make sure that we're all on the same page, deconstruction is where you take a story and you break down its tropes and you explore why they are harmful and why they are bad. And uh, you explore like real world repercussions. 
you try to strip away a lot of the idealism. Uh, probably the quintessential deconstruction comic is Watchmen. Yeah, that strips away a lot of idealism. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it really does. And I mean, there's a man with a castle on the planet Mars that is literally destroyed by a bottle of nostalgia. <laughs> yeah, it's not a particularly subtle book either. But the thing is, I don't actually like deconstruction by itself. What I like is deconstruction and reconstruction. So you take all the harmful stuff, you examine it, you nitpick it, you realize that it doesn't really have a place in there, and then you take what's left and you highlight the good in that and you build up the good in that. What's an um, example of that if reconstruction or deconstruction, we see that in Watchmen? Do you have like a... Yeah. So, it, like, Watchmen is to deconstruction as Grant Morrison's all-star Superman is to reconstruction. Okay. And, and all those put together are full metal alchemist and the principles of alchemy. <laughs> I feel like one of these days oh, you guys are going to pull off your masks and be like, ha ah, this has not been about Marvel Comics. It's been a ruse to get you into anime, John. <laughs> <laughs> all that time that we spent talking about Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane was actually Fruits Basket. <laughs> ah. Anyways, yeah, that's a, that's a good example. Yeah. I love um, All-Star Superman. Thanks for reminding me about that. I'm going to watch that movie. It's such a, uh, it's such think, a good book. I think I've read that one. What's the what's the take on, on All-Star? Well, how does that one go? I Superman think... gets cancer. Oh, never mind. I don't think I'm going to read that. <laughs> no, like he gets, he, he uh, absorbs so much of the soil radiation that he is going to die. But before he does, his powers are just ramped up to, like, the absolute max. And so he's like, well, I've got so much time to live. I'm going to make the most of it. And he basically fixes the world and then, yeah. Oh, yeah. He's, he's visited from people from the future who tell him he's going to accomplish, like, seven great deeds. Yeah. Hmm. I'll have to check it out. Because I, I, I've listened to interviews with Grant Morrison, and he seems really cool. I did not enjoy the X-Men that he wrote and, and <laughs> we talked about that but i'm 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 st- since you're a fan steven i want to give him a chance i know we're a marvel podcast but like honestly grant morrison's batman and robin is probably my favorite interpretation of it's so it's good. so good it's the best batman so book without uh bruce wayne it does it so well it's very very good it's the only uh, time damian wayne was likable I like Damian Wayne. I like him all the time. <laughs> uh, do we have anything else to say about... No. No. Uh, let's let's move on to Spider-Man okay. Noir, I think, then. <laughs> uh, Spider-Man Noir is uh, written by David Hine, and I'm probably going to get this wrong, Fabrice Sapolsky. Uh, art is done by... Oh, gosh. What are his names? Carmine Di Gian Domenico. Ah. Uh, letter by Art Monkey Studios and editor Alejandro Arbona and Warren Simmons. Uh, so this also takes place. This is, I think, I think they mentioned if it was post or pre World War II. I can't remember. Pre. It's pre. 33. 33. That's right. Yeah. So it's pre World War II, uh, New York. Aunt May is, is kind of a socialist and she's, you know, asking, trying to get, trying to get rally support uh, against like, you know, increasing rent costs, police brutality, uh, dissemination of the wealth, better job opportunities, you know, things that are totally things of the past, not necessarily 
I'll all relate it to the present. Nope, same crap new shovel. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in one of these, uh, she's she's uh, kind of assaulted, or she's threatened by some of my favorite <laughs> villains I never knew existed, uh, including Ox, Montana, and my favorite name, Fancy Dan. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and Fancy Dan are threatening her to get her to quiet down, and Ben Urich, a reporter and photographer... Kind of protects her and a young Peter Parker, and uh, he kind of he takes Peter Parker under his wing, and teaches him to become a journalist or a photographer, more specifically, teaching him like how to capture the emotions of of the stuff that's going on, and you present the story to the public, and you make him weep, as per J. Jonah Jameson, who's just exactly the same character he's always been. Nope, same character design, everything. Yeah. <laughs> It's a timeless look. His <laughs> bad haircut. <laughs> Trust my barber. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's nice to know that as for as many infinite uh, universes as there are in the Marvel universe, J. Jonah Jameson will always be the same. <laughs> J. Yeah. Jonah Jameson is the nexus of all realities. Yeah. <laughs> He's the thread that holds it all together. Oh, uh, man. A- a- anyways. He's the hub of the circle of time. <laughs> Anyway, so Ben Urich takes Peter Parker to like the speakeasy ran by the black cat uh, Felicia Hardy, and he it's which is definitely a normal thing to do with a kid. Uh, yeah, definitely normal. Actually, this is where one of my favorite lines comes in because he's he's getting him in enough to drink. <laughs> you want to show me that liquor license? <laughs> yeah, give the kid whatever he wants. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, that was pretty. That's funny. yeah, I like that one. Um, so takes her there, takes him there, and essentially. T- teaches him that like hey it doesn't matter like what we do all these people are in cahoots together and the person like that's essentially running the whole thing is the goblin who has like his little entourage which are a bunch of like circus performers that he's that he's recruited which includes like craven the hunter as like an animal tamer and the vulture adrian tombs who in this book is supposed to be like his brother or something or cousin his Craven's half brother. Yeah, um, yeah. But more importantly, a cannibal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So who he used to he used to eat chicken heads and now you know upgraded at some point between his uh, background in this. Anyways, actual geek. The the original term for geek biting off. Oh yeah, yeah. Hey, I forgot about that. Yep. Wow, what a nerd. Um. <laughs> I just read the same comic you did, man. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Anyway, so so he teaches on that. He gets in a in a, in a little, little kerfuffle with uh, was it the goblin? I think he, he tries to fight the goblin. Anyways, Ben tells him, "Hey, this is just the way things work." Uh, as the story continues, Ben kind of decides that Peter Parker is is too good of a kid, and he's so good that like he's he's helped him remember who he was before he became, uh, you know. A, a, a drug addict, drunk photographer who is in the pocket of these, of these people. That is the unfortunate truth about Ben Yurik in this book. And, uh, decides he's going to turn in, turn over all his evidence on, uh, on the goblin to, to J Jonah Jameson, uh, instead of the police, because the police are in cahoots as previously mentioned. But when he does that, he is then assassinated. And killed, presumably by J. Jonah Jameson. Prior to this, and I glossed over, and I didn't even gloss over it, I 
totally forgot to mention it. Uh, <laughs> Peter Parker is is uh, is bit by a magic s- spider totem <laughs> thing <laughs> because the goblin is superstitious, so he like likes to order, you know, that weird stuff from like that weird section in Amazon and eBay. So the the occult, the occult, yes. And they break. Yeah, we see they, that you have the Ark of the Covenant. You may also like. <laughs> yeah. So, so this big old like spider totem statue thing breaks, and a bunch of like million little spiders are released from it, and they kill Fancy Dan. Unfortunately, why couldn't it have been Montana? He doesn't have nearly as interesting a name as Fancy Dan. <laughs> they wanted you to feel They're like oh, not Fancy I, Dan. So fancy. I legitimately want to read more books with Fancy Dan. <laughs> You know he's a real character. I know. Right? I know. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I looked it up because I couldn't believe that that was a real character. <laughs> oh no! The enforcers are in Spectacular Spider-Man, the cartoon. Oh, are they? <gasps> they are. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember if which one of them becomes the Shocker, which is not his comic book origin. Right. Um, I, but one of them is turned into the Shocker. I, and I, it, I can't remember if it was. It was Montana. Okay. I just bought Cause that. Because he's the one with the accent. I just bought that on sale on like Voodoo. So I think I'll probably watch it this weekend. Not all it's of it. but good it's, it's good. Cartoon. Was that the one in the 90s? The Spectacular? Or no. It's like early no, 2000s. It was later on. Okay. Like mid 2000s, I think. Anyways. There's a whole bunch of them on Disney Plus now. So they're not, It's not on Disney Plus. Oh. It's the best one and it's not on there. Anyways, uh, Fancy Dan dies. <laughs> a fancy death. Yep. Or actually, no. What's not the point fancy. of even reading anything else? I stopped. This is where, uh, this is where my synopsis <laughs> ends. <laughs> so he dies, and the spider bites uh, Peter Parker and tells him, Hey, uh, I only kill evil people, and you seem like a cool dude with a rad attitude. So here's some powers. <laughs> and he becomes Spider-Man. He can shoot webs. He, he becomes Spider-Man. Like he becomes like Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. Like he he, he has like the, the spider sense. He has a good physical agility. He shoots webs out of his uh, wrists. This is just a Spider-Man book. Um, <laughs> yeah. And <laughs> that's both like a good thing and a little disappointing, but whatever. He's Spider-Man with a gun. Anyways, <laughs> so, so he makes it his mission to like start, uh, you know, kind of taking down the goblin and his whole like enterprise. So the, the stuff that Ulrich was going to give to Jonah Jameson, he had given to Felicia for like safekeeping. Cause he knew like something like that would happen. So she gives that stuff to, to Peter Parker and tells him like, don't turn it over to Jonah Jameson. Cause she saw Jonah kill him plot twist. It was actually the chameleon. Who was also a circus dun, performer. Dun, dun. Dun, dun. Yeah. yeah. Jonah's safe. Mostly. He's, he's in a cage with a goblin. And a tiger. And the tiger. Well, the tiger's next yeah. to him. It's in the, the cage yeah. oh, next yeah. to him. Different cage. Yeah. yeah. That's my neighbor. favorite part about Craven is that he has a monkey on his shoulder the whole time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's just like, this is Craven. <laughs> I was actually a little, dis- I was a little disappointed that monkey never never had a gun. <laughs> 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 now you got to read Hellboy. I, uh, I, clearly, I'm reading the wrong book. <laughs> monkey's got a gun <laughs> arm the monkeys <laughs> yeah. so so he figures this out he's been hitting the goblins uh like trade points and warehouses and whatnot and then they batmanning it up yeah it's just a <laughs> batman book 
pistol. With a gun. <laughs> Turns out if you turn up the noir dial on ba- on Spider-Man, you just get Batman. Man, they should write <laughs> oh, no. they should make some uh Batman noir books. Oh wait. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, uh there's a kerfuffle and uh I've been using that word to say there was a fight a lot this episode. Kerfuffle is the new scuttlebutt. Yeah. <laughs> scuttlebutt. Always <laughs> 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 uh funny cuz but yeah, he fights all the people. He fights Green Goblin. He finds out Green Goblin uh actually looks like a goblin. He just has a, a mask on him to make him look like people. Also and, was also in a freak show apparently. Yes. And then flushes him down the sewers and J. Jonah Jameson publishes the story about the goblin and its bright, happy futures until, you know, a few years later when World War II hits. Yep. Yep. This is just a Batman book, you guys. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, kind of, yeah. Yeah. So my uh, originally going in, I was like, I like Noir, and oh, it's going to be Spider-Man Noir. Okay, ooh, that was in Spider-Verse, and he didn't like throw around the the slang and dialogue like good old Nicolas Cage did. So no, I was a little disappointed in that. I hate the art, hate it. Really? Oh, really? Uh, hate it. Like the the paneling and the compositions aren't bad. The, the you know the design elements, that kind of thing. Um, the uh, uh, the figures are are just poorly done. I think it's it's just bad line work is what it comes down to. I would disagree. Oh. I love the style. Same. Right? Yeah. And Steven was wrong. And <laughs> <laughs> like coming away from from X Men Noir, where everything was so dark and shadowy that I was having trouble following things. I found the the colors and the you know distinct character designs to be kind of refreshing. Um, I, I I again I don't I wouldn't say that the art was like my favorite, but I thought it was stylized in a way that was interesting. Yeah, I th- I think a couple things play in this book's favor, which is they have a smaller, more concentrated cast, and yes. the ca- the designs for the characters are a lot less realistic. So you have like fancy Dan wearing purple, uh, and he's wearing almost I I can't think of a better word, so sue me. But he's looking like a pimp. <laughs> yeah, there you, there you go. Yeah. There you go. Uh, all the characters are kind of a little bit more colorful, I th- which I think is an interesting contrast to having Spider-Man in this one kind of dressed in all black. He doesn't really have mm-hmm. a spider symbol or anything like that. The only... Th- the thing I did like actually a lot about this is how they... and how they, Not animate, how they present his spider sense which is that weird symbol like in front of his face yeah. and like, it curves around his face. I thought that was rad. Yeah, yeah I was surprised. I dug that mm-hmm. though. Him him getting his powers that way, I think would match um like pulp era stuff of the time. You yes. know, he would have like some kind of well it's it's like an Indiana Jones thing like of that same, you know, pre pre World War 2 yeah. kind of Oh, magic. Actually, so one of the things I didn't talk about, which I thought was an interesting change. Uh, Spider-Man kills. He yeah. he kills. He's got a gun. Yeah, he's got a gun. He kills uh, Adrian Toome, the vulture, when he's trying to eat his Aunt May. Wouldn't you though? Yeah. He. I, so I also didn't mention this, but like Ben Urich was at the site of uh, Uncle Ben's death, 
where Peter Parker thinks he was killed by dogs because his body was all chewed up and he he knows that it was the goblin that like set those after him. Uh, what he doesn't know is that one, Ben Urich was there and two, Ben Urich saw that it wasn't dogs. It was the vulture. They sicked the vulture on him to eat him and then like left his carcass there for Peter to, to discover. Or well, not for him to discover, but he was the first one to, to be discovered. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. because Uncle Ben was also like speaking out against the goblin and and stuff. So yeah, so when he finds the vulture trying to eat Aunt May, and uh, he shoots him like in the face a lot, a lot, <laughs> and Aunt May pretty much tells him like you know if you if you just go around killing people. She's like, I thought you were good people, but if you're just killing them, you're no better than they are. And I, th- yeah. and I think if this was like a long running series, this is like that Uncle Ben moment where he's like, or not Uncle Ben moment, but similar to it where he's like, I must not I mean, kill. I the Uncle Ben moment, right? Yeah, almost pretty much. Yeah, no. So I dug that moment. This is this is my favorite moment in all of the comics that we've read this week. Um, cause it's, it's sort of that deconstruction thing again, right? Mm-hmm. Like <laughs> you, you get Spider-Man in there and he does the thing, like he does the thing that, that people always say about superheroes. It's like, why don't the superheroes just kill? Right. Why don't you yeah. just shoot them? And he even gets like a good one liner too. Like the, the vulture is the Spider-Man. How fast you move spider fast enough to stop me snapping her neck. And then he just says, no, probably not. And pulls out a gun and shoots him. It is like this really great, like I could see, I don't know, like Bruce Willis saying that in a Die Hard movie <laughs> or something, you know? And what happens after that is he gets reamed by Aunt May. In her purple shawl and everything. And w- <laughs> That's so good. If it was a, if it was a Schwarzenegger film... He would have said, eat this. <laughs> if it was the Matrix, it would have said, dodge this. Ah. I'm downplaying that moment. That's really cool. <laughs> yeah. it's No, it's a good yeah. moment. It's it's essentially, it's like half of his Uncle Ben moment. And I like that they... So one of the things I don't like about the new Spider-Man movies is that... <laughs> I'm not a fan of the whole great power, great responsibility thing. Doesn't really come into play, and they allude to it, but it never really like plays out. If that makes sense, right? And part of why I don't like it is because they they allude to it. If you wanted to take a whole different take on Spider-Man, and and uh, not even mention it, I think I would be fine based on like how you reinterpret Spider-Man. Uh, but I would be a little salty because I am a big fan of the great power, great responsibility speech. But this book does that. This book does not have the great power, great responsibility speech. Uh, it's kind of implied and it's something that Peter learns on his own just kind of by honoring his uncle's memory. And so I think what makes that moment better, the, the Aunt May vulture fight thing, is that... It kind of completes that moment without ever having really started it, if that makes sense. Yeah, like, this is an origin story. It is a Spider-Man origin story. 
It's the sort of thing that we've seen before. They wind up getting to the same points, but they take a different way to get yeah. there. Yeah. And it's kind of fun. It, like This is not what I would want to see from, like, if this was an alternate... Like, this is an alternate universe telling of Spider-Man. And for that, it's fine. If this was, like, a retcon, this is what Spider-Man is now, wouldn't like it as much. No. But, uh, you know, for alternate universe sort of thing, it's it's totally fine. It's a good take. Yeah. yeah. It's certainly a much better take than... An X Men Noir. <laughs> why that was so bad. Yeah. So so one of the things I do wanna I do wanna kind of uh point out is how much he's not like and John's John mentioned this, he's very much not the goofy Nicolas Cage noir version that we see in the Spider-Verse. And I right. and I think if you loved Spider-Verse and this is what and you wanted him more. I think you'd be in for a bit of a shock. Yeah, you'd be like, oh, he, okay. Spider-Man here is a pretty serious character. He doesn't uh-huh. joke around. I, I, yeah, I, I think with the exception of that bullet thing, where it just kills him, he doesn't really joke around a whole lot. He's pretty serious. He's real. He's real cut up by you know Uncle Ben being well mauled by dogs slash you know the vulture. He's, yeah, he's out for revenge. So that's, I mean, in that vein, it is kind of leans more Batman, you know? <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> but it's, it's interesting because I think he is like, and again, we've got the whole, the George Floyd protests going on as we speak, basically the, uh, the defund the police movement is going on and we are, you know, in the year, the year of our Lord 2020 when, you know, Joe Biden is the democratic nominee when Bernie Sanders was there and like socialism is part of the conversation and Aunt May being a socialist and kind of teaching young Peter things about socialism. And you hear some socialist talking points coming out of Peter's mouth. It's hard for me not to see the, the noir Spider-Man as sort of this like socialist hero, right? Even though he's not super explicit with the, with the, uh, ideology once the mask is on. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to really weigh in one way or the other. I think I've mentioned before on the podcast that I'm more socialism curious than actually socialist. <laughs> <laughs> he just he experimented around with socialism in college. He's still not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Capitalism keeps calling him back to him. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, what you said. <laughs> yeah, I think, uh, you know, I really like Black Cat in this. <laughs> Just trying to segue from that because I don't have anything else to add. I like Black Cat in here. I, yeah, I think that this did a better job of, like, the plot was good and it kept it kept me interested. It also... We quickly got over the fact of, ooh, they put this character in that role. Ooh, they did this. They did that. We got past that pretty quick. And then it became like, holy crap, Ben Yurik's a junkie. And this is going on. And, oh, no, he's dead. Ah, what's Peter going to do? You know, it, it, it became more of just like you were following what was going on. Yeah. And the noir setting became, you know, something fun rather than like, well, what's going on here? Like, who's that guy? Yeah. Um. I enjoyed this. Uh, not a fan of the art, but the uh, the story and the plot and pacing of everything was really good. 
Um, so for that, uh, I think this will end up rating much higher than X-Men. Yeah. So yeah. so one of the things I do want to point out is that both these books are four issues long. They're not very long. These This was kind of like a quick, easy read in comparison to some of the more recent stuff I've, yeah. I've been reading lately. And I think that comes to a great benefit specifically to Spider-Man and more of a detriment to X-Men because X-Men, I think the problem with it was is it has such a big cast and it feels like it's introducing characters right up to the final issue. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's, that's part of the problem. Whereas Spider-Man kind of keeps a small concentrated cast and it really focuses on, on the, on the main players of it being, you know, Spider-Man and the Goblin and maybe Black Cat and Ben Urich and Jay Jonah as like B-list, B-cast, I guess. So so I think it's able to do just a little bit more, right? We get a little bit more one-on-one time with, with Peter Parker as a character. Heck, we don't he doesn't even become Spider-Man until the second issue. Which considering that you have four issues, that's a lot of time to spend with him as just as just Peter Parker. Right. And I think part of like like having the smaller cast works is that you can have stuff like the Ben Urick thing. Ben Urick in this book comes across as a more complicated character than I've seen him portrayed as. And I actually, I like Ben Urick in the few bits that I've seen him in like the comics. And he's not in there a whole lot anymore. He used to be a bigger player like in the 60s, 70s, and a little bit into the 80s. And the Daredevil series the first season yeah so for him to kind of almost get a spotlight here is is kind of nice and and they do really good things where like he's he's a character with death right like he's a reporter but he's also in the goblin's pocket he used to be good people but now he's like a junkie uh but he's also been like gathering evidence on the goblin and he has like this history with with black cat that's implied to have broken apart presumably because of the drugs and being in the goblin's pocket and that type of thing. But they're still like on good terms, which is why he still hangs out at the speakeasy and like, is real nice with her. Like Ben, Ben Urich has a lot of death for a character in who is kind of a side character in a four issue miniseries. And I, and I kind of want to point that out because that's in my opinion, that's a little impressive. Yeah. Hmm. I like Yurik as this kind of supplemental, uh, again, Uncle Ben surrogate, but not as angelic, yeah. I guess, as Uncle yeah. Ben tends to get portrayed. It, it it does fit a little bit more with sort of the noir vibe that they are going for, mm-hmm. where he is, you know, he's no angel, but he <laughs> had principles, he lost principles, he go, yeah. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's probably a good thing that he's no angel. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I, I think they did a good job with, with this book. I don't think it's like world changing. It's not, I don't think this is a must read. This is definitely a, yeah, pick it up. Uh, it's fun. Yeah. It's like, it's, it's enjoyable, but if somebody was like, Hey, should I read Spider-Man Noir? Like, yeah. 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 I worry that if I were like, if I hadn't just read a book that I actually disliked, would I be as high on this one? Uh, 
I don't know. I think it was still like even even without comparing it to X Men. I think it still holds up. I think the plot is you know engaging enough. Yeah, yeah. Like I, again, I don't think this is a bad book at all. I think it's fine. I just like I, I just wonder, and you know, there's yeah. nothing to do about that. I I can't go back and change the way that I encountered the story. Right. Yeah, I think I think if if anything, maybe it's not like as fun as you. As as maybe a year from now, it's probably not as fun a read as it was this time. But I mm-hmm. think you almost can't deny that this is like a technically sound book. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, should we rank these? Yes. Yeah, there's not a whole lot to say when we agree that it's a good book. <laughs> <laughs> I also like. I don't have as much to say personally about about this. Yeah, book. probably because I don't want to cut anybody else off. No, probably because it doesn't like, really have anything too offensive. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so I I do just want to say like real, real happy ending in this one. Like the goblin isn't in bars yet because he got flushed down the sewer, but like they got rid of like the mayor and they got rid of like the chief of police and all that stuff and like that's. It ends on it. It ends on it like, and and Roosevelt's coming into office and is going to do something about all this. Yeah, it kind of ends a little optimistic, yeah. which which was kind of nice compared to X Men. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It found me. It found me hopeful, <laughs> wishing that like I knew the end of all this. You know, it's June, and I feel like we've gone through like ten years of garbage since March, since January. You know? <laughs> and I, I wish Seriously. there was like a there like Morgan Freeman to just come on and be like, and then after they swam out of that river of crap, July was pretty great, <laughs> and there were there were social reforms and everything, and and uh, you know, government started doing its job, and and uh, people who were. Um, unfit for office were shot out of a cannon into the Atlantic and all was right with the world. <laughs> that's probably a little too optimistic. Yeah, that's way too optimistic. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, <sighs> want to rake our 100th comic? Oh, oh wait, wow. is this, is it? No. <laughs> yeah, apparently X-Men Noir is our 100th. Oh, that's right. These were supposed to be our 100, uh, but then we split up uh, Black Blackagar Boltigan. Oh, well. So, currently on our list, number one, we've got No Normal, Ms. Marvel. Very, very good story. Very bottom of the list is The Evil That Men Do. Very, very bad story. Very, very, very bad story. If you want to know why we dunk on Kevin Smith in this episode. Man, I could. I feel like I could write a better comic book than Kevin Smith. But I don't have Guys, anything to back up that claim. How did Happily Ever After wind up at 91? <laughs> Because it wasn't, it didn't do a whole lot. I mean, it didn't do a whole lot, but I mean, it's beneath Brave New Heroes, which is actively racist. It's just right? not. It. I think because it doesn't deliver on the wedding promise, wasn't that a thing? It doesn't really did the wedding. It was just a nothing and a bit of nothing. It was. I just don't like even remember anything that happened in that book, except that there maybe there was supposed to be a wedding, and I don't even know if that happened. You want to see a. Um, what do you call it? You know, what the Avengers are doing when they're not actually being Avengers? Then you read Hawkeye. And you'll notice where <laughs> Hawkeye is ranked. Listen, if you if you want to know why uh, why Happily Ever After is in spot 91, you should listen to episode 18 and find out why we were ranked at 18. 
How did it end up down here? I don't oh, know. Boy. I a don't know. Better books, uh, apparently. Anyway, the reason that I'm down here in this part of the list is because uh, this is this is about where <laughs> X-Men Noir goes. <laughs> like, I want to put this... How is World's Greatest Detective down here? <laughs> oh, wait, no, wait. That's not the one I thought it was. No. I was thinking of the, the Drax story. This is the she yeah, story she- that we were kind of lukewarm on. Yeah, the, the Drax think- one is the galaxy's best detective. Then I would put it, I would put it at um, 92, or 93, rather. Excuse me. Because X-Men Noir is definitely better than Marvel Zombies. Because Marvel Zombies like almost made me physically ill. X-Men Noir was like, I was just bored and just annoyed. Yeah. Yeah, I think I was going to gun for underneath Marvel Zombies, but no, I think you're right. I would put it between the two Marvel Zombies books. I, I just remember Marvel Zombies 2 not being quite as morally offensive to me as Marvel Zombies 1 was. That was still gross, but... Yeah, it was still gross, but, like, uh, X-Men Noir turns Magneto into a fascist, which is not a great look. Right. Uh, I think I'm just going to put this at uh, 93. No, I think... Or 94. Let's put it at 94 because I, I do hate fascists more than zombies. <laughs> oh, gosh. I think it's less about the fact that there's a fascist in the book and more about the fact that it takes a character who is a victim of fascist violence and turns them into a fascist, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. I, if we ever do wind up ranking the, the Morrison X-Men stuff, I think that's going to have to weigh in a little bit, too. Okay, so, but you're saying 95 then, John? Uh, no, I'm saying 94. Okay, so in between the Marvel Zombies is... Yeah. See, I, I would like to keep the Marvel Zombies as a set. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well then, I say, then, put it above, then put it above the two of them is my vote if we're going to keep them together. Because <laughs> yeah, Halloween's coming up in less than half a year. <laughs> I got a feeling Marvel Zombies 3 is going to go... Right there. Oh, jeez. There's a, they really made a third one? There's like there are like seven of there, them. There's so there's many. Marvel so movies, many. There's so Two, many. Two, they kind of resolved it, and they were like, we're going to live in peace as gross zombies and normies. John, my, my plan is to keep this podcast going until we've read all the Marvel zombies on the app. <laughs> <laughs> At least. Okay, so then this, this book goes... 93. At... 93 between the world's greatest detectives detective which is a story where She-Hulk teams up with Santa Claus and it is somehow boring and Marvel Zombies 2. Um and then Spider-Man Noir. I don't know exactly where Spider-Man Noir is going. I want to put it listen okay so it's a Spider-Man book so I automatically want to put it in the top 20. But <laughs> but it's not top 20 good. No, it's uh, I don't think it is. Um I do want to put it around Thor's Battle World, I think is okay. I think it's as good as a alternate story as Thor's Battle World is. Okay, okay, I can actually get behind this. I would probably want to put it a little bit higher than that. That's absolutely okay with me, uh, <laughs> but not much. I, I would put it much lower. But really, where are you thinking, John? Well, I'm looking. Where are you thinking, John? Explain I, yourself. I, <laughs> where is your body and where is your look, mind? I mean, I'm looking in the between. Uh, see, I like it better. I like it better than Truth, Red, White, and Black. But that's that one you guys liked more. I just thought it was poorly done. 
Wolverine's <laughs> below that, even though I like it more, but it is racist. <laughs> That's tricky. Because there are some that I think that is better. It's like in this, this weird area between 30 and 50 that some I would say are better, some are not. Um, I just want to point out to our listening audience that Thor's Battle World ranks at 42 on our list, uh, which is neither amazing but not terrible. Yeah. It's well above the reread again line and well, well above the burn this crap forever, never again am I going to touch that book. Right. And that line depends on if you're me or if you're, you know, dum dums who like Mary Jane Homecoming. <laughs> I think if if we put it if we put it after Thor's Battle World at forty three, I would be okay with that. Okay. Um, so that's I mean I'm in the low low end. Steven's at the higher end. So Aldo, it's kind of your call. Wait, where where were you thinking of putting it, Steven? Uh, not much higher than that. Like I was probably gonna put it uh, between like. Craven's Last Hunt and the Galaxy's Best Detective. Oh. Which is the Drax story. Like, I wasn't going to go too much higher. Yeah, I would put it above the Drax story. I'd put it above the Drax story. I I think it's better than the Drax story, but I don't think it's better than Thor's Battle World. But. (laughs) (laughs) What a weird list, right? It is. is. Oh, man, democracy does weird things. (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, yeah, I'm okay with putting it above Galaxy's Best Detective. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Oh, that puts it at 40. Okay. Number 40 between Craven's Last Hunt and the Galaxy's Best Detective. Um, wow, that was a. That was almost a chore to get through. (laughs) (laughs) But man, we have 101 stories. Where can everyone check out the full list, Aldo? Uh, Superhumanregistrationpodcast.com slash the list. Better da da. So for our next episode, uh, we are going to read, oh goodness, I'm actually pretty excited about this. I've read one of these books before and I haven't read the other one, but I've wanted to. Uh, We're going to start by reading the Power Man and Iron Fist series from 2016. John, what are the issue numbers again? Do you remember? Just, well, as far as like a story, it's just one through four. Five is a standalone issue that I like, but it's it's not really part of a story. So that would, for, as far as our purposes, uh, it would mess that up. So just uh, one through four. So Power Man and Iron Fist numbers one through four. From 2016. From 2016. And we are going to follow that up with Damage Control from 1989, uh, issues one through four. Uh, Damage Control is by Dwayne McDuffie, who is the creator of Static Shock, and he's a very notable figure in comics. I have been wanting to read his Marvel work for a while, and I've never really done it, so... I'm excited to get Yeah, I like Don McDuffie. Uh, he's very pretty prolific, actually, in the comic industry. And, uh, you know, Static Shock was actually, I think, what I mean, that kind of came from, like, DC's golden age of cartoons, I feel. Yeah, and Static Shock actually is based on a comic. Yeah. Uh, that was part of Milestone, which is an imprint that... I don't know if DC owned it at the time. They do now, and brought Static. I think Static's the only character they brought into their regular stable, but it's it's all about prominent black superheroes. I have I really want to hunt down Icon, 
which is basically what if Superman was black? Mm. How would that change the type of person he turned into? Like he still becomes a moral character, um, but he definitely has like a different sense of morality and a different sensibility to uh, Clark Kent. And I just, I've heard about it, never read it on my list of things to track down someday. Which, I'm sorry, um, I'm seeing a couple of damage controls on the app. 1989 yeah. to 1990? Yeah, that's the, it's labeled in the app as 1989 to 1990. There are two series that started in 1989, but if you look at the publication dates, the, the one that's listed 1989 to 1990 actually started publication first. And it's Acts and of so Vengeance is what we're reading? It's an Acts of Vengeance tie-in, yeah. Okay. Which was a Marvel event that the premise was... Let's have heroes fight villains that they don't normally fight. Neat. That sounds better than fighting each other. Yeah. So Daredevil fights Ultron, and uh, I think Magneto actually fights Doctor Doom, Ooh. which is kind of weird. And the Fantastic Four fight a whole bunch of Spider-Man's lame villains, and they're like, we don't have time for this. <laughs> <laughs> nice. I might have yeah. to read that event. Yeah, I don't know that there's much of an event other than the villains get together and say, hey, let's all fight heroes other than the heroes we normally fight. I mean, it's... Like, I don't think there's any underlying story. Or, I haven't read much. I mean, it's got to be better than Avengers vs. X-Men, according to you guys. I We haven't read Avengers vs. No, X-Men. no. But every time it comes up, you guys are like, eh. It's like... <laughs> I, I wanted to like it more than I did, but I still don't think it's bad. I don't know. I really when like was the last Hope time Summer. we mentioned the penis five on this podcast. Because <laughs> that's got to come up again. The what? I'm sorry, what? <laughs> You've heard this. The penis five. No. Who, who, are the, who are the five mutants who get the phoenix powers the, in Avengers vs. X? Yeah, the phoenix. So, <laughs> the phoenix five. I'm, Steven, it sounds like you were a victim of a prank. No, 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 no. Who are they? they like name. Oh, my gosh. It's Scott, powers. Emma. Colossus. Colossus. So Peter. 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 Um, Namor. Ileana. Namor. Oh, boy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. The acronym. <sighs> you know, you're, it's like, it's like <laughs> you just, you've gone, you've gone Southern Baptist on us, just finding wangs in, in, in uh, the castle and Little Mermaid. Just, just. You know, whatever we do read Avengers vs. X-Men, I'm going to be highly disappointed if the title of that episode is not Penis 5. Oh gosh, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, just put periods in between every letter. It's fine. <laughs> My mom will see that. 